this is uh, our half century, a half century in that it's our, our 50th sermon uh, from the uh, Gospel of John. I can barely believe where the time has gone. But what I want us to do today is to continue from where we were last week. Last week we started looking at this section at the end of chapter 15 from verse uh, 18 through into chapter 16 and uh, verse 4. If you're using the uh, ESV version, the, the heading that's been given to this section is the hatred of the world. The hatred of the world. And we, as we were starting to look at this last week, we started looking at the, the, that heading they will what will the world do they will and, and we realize that the world will hate god's people the world will hate jesus's disciples just as jesus was hated by the world the world will hate his disciples now that doesn't mean that everybody out there hates you as a Christian in, in that sense, that there's lots of people who are non-Christians, who are very kind, very loving, very caring, and we thank God for that common grace and that mercy. But in general terms, the world is against Jesus. And it meant that he was crucified back then, wasn't it? And, and that's the world that we are thinking of. And so we, we saw that uh, under this heading, they will. And I'm just going to put the slides up there beside us so we can just quickly uh, recap over what we looked at last week. We saw that persecution is inevitable. For, for God's children, for God's disciples, a persecution will happen. In verse 20, it says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We are not greater uh, as a servant than the master. And we saw that this is uh, something, this, the reason this happened, the reason this, this, this uh, persecution comes our way as God's children is because as a disciple of Jesus, we're not of this world. We've been chosen by God. We've been saved. We've been brought out of this world. And we will suffer because we are associated with Jesus. So we saw that persecution is inevitable. We also saw, saw that persecution may be terrible. We saw initially that they were could be put out of the synagogues, uh, chapter 16, verse 2. And we saw that as the, the, the real uh, potential financial implication of being ostracized, thrown out of the synagogue, the social stigma of being thrown out of the synagogue, and those kinds of things happen nowadays. And, and we could call that sort of lighter persecution because the extreme persecution, the, the terrible persecution, is it can lead to death. God's people, 2,000 years ago, the disciples, were martyred for Christ's sake. And throughout the, the centuries, God's people, Christians, have been persecuted and some have lost their lives. And right now, around the world, there are Christians losing their lives for Christ's sake. And it can be terrible. It's not always terrible. 
And we've got to be so thankful in our situations that we don't suffer it at that extreme. But as we were led in prayer earlier, we were praying for the persecuted church out there. And it's real. You see, persecution can be seen as something that is respectable. In that chapter 16 and verse 2, we read that there's an hour coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering his service to God. And over the centuries and over the years, people have persecuted true believers who thought they were doing God's work. And we also see a persecution now in, in Europe and in America where there's political correctness and there's this idea that a Christian saying the only way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ is hate speech and, and Christians are being closed down and asked to be quiet and not open about their faith and if they speak of things that the world doesn't like they get in trouble. And that type of persecution seems to be, to the world and society in general, respectable. But we also saw that persecution is inexcusable because persecution is coming up against God, coming up against the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a little tricky verses in 22 and 26 of this, and that little section there in the chapter 15. And we saw there that the, the Jews that were persecuting Christ and would put him to death, the, the Jews that would uh, then go on to persecute the early believers, they had no excuse. They were guilty. They were guilty of sin. And persecution and persecuting God's people is sin. And whether it is in this life, most certainly if unconfessed and unforgiven in uh once the Lord has returned, there will be true judgment on all those who have persecuted God's people. That doesn't mean a persecutor can't repent and be made right with God and be forgiven. For sure that can happen. We pray that will do. But for all those who do not repent and come to know and own the Lord Jesus as their Saviour, they will suffer eternal consequences as all sinners will but there will be no excuse for persecution but lastly we just touched on this and this is what we're going to develop and, and carry on thinking about today and, and that is that persecution is endurable although persecution on one level or the other severe or light call it what we like uh, is inevitable it's endurable. So Jesus was preparing his disciples at this stage and he wanted them to be able to endure it. And they did. And just as they were able to endure it with God's help, so are we. And this is Jesus' words that we have ringing in our ears and in chapter 16 and verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus was preparing his disciples to be able to endure persecution. Persecution isn't the end. Persecution is endurable. And so 
the, the, the negative and the big challenge that we had last week was seeing how real persecution is and how it is inevitable and how it is a, a fruit, as it were, of abiding in Christ. And we just touched on this uh, fact that persecution is endurable. This week we're going to emphasize and, and see and hear a lot more about how it is endurable. And so last week I said that we had these various four headings. We started off with they will. Now we're looking at I will. I will. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I will. Jesus spoke to his disciples. And Jesus said there a little earlier in chapter, or late in chapter 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was preparing them for the future. Jesus is explaining them what to expect from the world. He doesn't hide it. It's not printed in the small print in the very, very back of the brochure of the Christian guide to life. He doesn't hide it away. He doesn't put all the good stuff at the beginning in nice, big, glossy pictures. And then at the end, just there, in very, very small print, beware, you may be persecuted. No, he's, he's very open about this right here at the beginning. And he doesn't say this to frighten his disciples. He doesn't want to say this to put his disciples off. Now, there is a point that we need to count the cost. But this is not what this is about. He's saying this to prepare them. Uh, Lord Baden-Powell, who established the uh, Boy Scout movement, he had a motto. And this motto became, has become the watchword of all Boy Scouts. I remember being a Cub Scout and being taught this, and, and it's still there in my mind. And his simple motto was, be prepared. Be prepared. And a good Boy Scout would always have his pockets full of different things to be prepared. And back in the day, before the days of mobile phones and all the rest of it, we were told we should have uh, a coin in our pocket if we needed to make a telephone call, a little two pence piece, so we could make a phone call. We, we need to have some string in our pocket in case we needed string, uh, a, a pocket knife to be prepared for whatever the eventuality. That the best approach to an exam is to be prepared. Now, being prepared isn't doing fireman the night before and just cramming it all into your head. That's not being prepared. Being prepared is not phoning the pastor the day before and saying, please, please, will you pray for me? I've got an exam tomorrow. Being prepared is studying for it, getting ready for it. To do your best at a job interview is to be prepared, to think about what questions you'll be asked. Find out a bit about the company so you can ask intelligent questions. You have an idea of what's going on. Maybe chat to an employee to find out a bit more. Lots of churches offer marriage preparation classes. For those who are going to get married, there's a class, there's a preparation, there's preparing for it. Now, to be able to endure persecution, we need to be prepared. And that's what Jesus was doing for his disciples. He wanted them to endure. He wanted them to, to make it through it. And so he wanted them to be prepared. Now, Jesus knows that the, the greatest danger the disciples will confront from persecution. The greatest danger that they will have from persecution is not death. 
but falling away. Now we need to grasp this. This is so important here. I'm going to say it again. The greatest danger the disciples will confront from persecution is not death. It's not the suffering. It's not the challenge. It's not the being laughed at. Whatever form that persecution comes on the spectrum. The greatest danger is falling away. That chapter 16, that verse 1, as he said, I have said these things to keep you from falling away. Not to keep you from persecution. Not to keep you from suffering. But to keep you from falling away. What was meant by falling away here? Well, uh, other translations have put it uh, slightly differently and I think it might be helpful just to sort of share some of those. The the New King James Version says that you uh, may not be made to stumble, that you should not be made to stumble. Uh, the, The old authorized version, that you shall not be offended. The NIV, that you shall not fall away. The New Living Translation, that you won't abandon your faith and we're getting the sort of sense of what's going on here now apparently the original greek word used was the noun scandalon scandalon and you may think to yourself that that sounds familiar now over time this word's become sort of a, a proverbial way to describe a verbal trap and from there it became the source word of the English word scandal or slander. And so that's possibly where you thought, ah, oh, scandal, I know that, it's scandal. Well, that's not its meaning here. The, the meaning back then, those 2,000 years ago, when this word was originally used, was to describe a, a, a trap that was used by hunters. It was a trap that involved some sort of tripwire, trip cord, and it caused the animal to stumble and fall, and then the animal would be caught and it would be killed. This is it. The picture language is clear. There is a trap that has been set to catch and kill. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to fall away. He doesn't want his disciples to be caught up and trapped and and to to fall away. Now we might be thinking to ourselves, ah, we've got a tension here. Because you've heard it preached from, from LPC in the past and possibly quite recently that a true believer cannot lose their salvation. And so we're thinking here that Jesus is saying to them, look, so you won't fall away. And you're also thinking in your mind's eye, because you're smart people, you'd be thinking like this, but how can a believer fall away if they can't lose their salvation? Jesus said uh, just a little bit earlier in John, John chapter 6 and verse 39, and we've looked at this before, and he said, this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus. Jesus is speaking. The will of him who sent me, God the Father sent Jesus. 
So this is Jesus, this is God's will. And God's will was that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God has a people that have been chosen. We've seen that a little bit back in the same passage, that we're chosen. We've been brought into his family. We've been there and we're not going to be lost. So how do we, how do we work this through? What, what, what's, what's being said here? Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're a pessimist or an optimist, and you might be thinking, what has that got to do with the subject that we're thinking about here? Well, just, just let's run with this. Let's think about this for a moment. I'm going to tell you if you are a pessimist or an optimist by how you see this verse. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. If you're a pessimist, you're going to concentrate on the part of the verse that says falling away. If you're an optimist, you'll concentrate on the part of the verse that says to keep you. See the difference? Same verse. Same statement. The optimist will be saying to keep you from falling. And the pessimist will be thinking from falling away. Now, I want you to be realists. I want you to hold on to both. And this helps us to think of this verse not as a warning. This verse is not as a, as a warning to, to, to warn you that you may fall away. This verse is here to keep you from falling away. It's preparation to keep you from falling away. So we mustn't let our negative glasses rob us. Of the, of the positive nature of this truth. The positive nature of this truth that Jesus was giving to his disciples back then was he was going to teach them something. He was going to bring them into the secret of what was going on ahead. And the reason that he was doing this is so that they would be kept from falling away. When we're in the grip of God's grace, we won't fall away. When we're in the grip of God's grace and we truly know him and we've been truly saved, we can't fall away. But there's a means that God uses to keep us. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus said all these things to keep you, to keep his disciples. And, and as we look at history, as, as we go on into the book of Acts, and we see what happens in the book of Acts, we see that these 11 disciples that Jesus was having this conversation were, were kept to the end. They didn't fall. Why not? Because Jesus had said these things to him. Jesus was looking after them. Jesus was taking care of them. He was preparing them. Yes, these disciples had failings. But they did not fall away. They were truly abiding in the true vine of Jesus. And, and just as Jesus said all these things to keep you, his disciples, 
is so that we can be kept now as well. And, and just as his teaching then was in preparation for his disciples, those 11 that he was in front of, to help them to be persecution-proof, if you like, to help them to be enabled to endure and endure to the end. This same teaching, this same preparation is here for us, those 2,000 years later, to enable us and to allow us to be able to endure persecution. So the, the solution that Jesus gives his disciples, the, the, the teaching that he brings to them, is it, it, not a quick fix. He's not saying to them, do this, do this, and then you will have a life that is free of problems. He's not offering a problem-free life or a quick fix. But he's preparing them for the persecution that will happen. And the disciples survived the persecution because of two things. Well, there's other things, but there's two things that are particularly mentioned here in this passage. And so those two things that, that I want us to, to concentrate uh, our time on at, at the minute. And then the two things that he has is the words of Jesus. And the second thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how were these disciples able to endure? What kept them from falling? The words of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 in chapter 15, Jesus is speaking and he says, When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Now we're going to come to come back to the Holy Spirit more in, in just a moment. But for, for now, I just want us to, to concentrate on what we mean by the, these words of Jesus. Jesus said, I say these things to keep you from falling. What were the things that, that Jesus said to keep them from falling? What has Jesus said to them? Now, there's this immediate context of the persecution that he's talked about, these verses here. He's, he's let them into the secret, as it were, that there will be persecution. He, he shared that with him. And that's the immediate context of what he said. But also there's, there's a wider context. The wider context is the, the whole discourse, the whole message that he brought to them in the upper room. What we've been looking at in the previous weeks is what Jesus has been saying to them. Also, there's the context of his whole earthly ministry. All his ministry where he was with the disciples and speaking to them and, and, and teaching them. All this is what he said to them. And all this is to prepare them and help them to be able to live as disciples and to endure persecution to the end. And there is a sense of the whole of the biblical teaching, the whole of God's word. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one. We think of God's word as being one. And so there is a sense in the fact that 
as Jesus was there with them in that New Testament setting as he was on this earth as both man and God, we also know that his word was from before. And so the Old Testament, the Bible, is Jesus speaking. Now, for the disciples, there was this immediate context and and this upper room discourse and that must have been a huge huge comfort to these disciples when Jesus left them they they would not have been surprised as events unfolded and and it didn't take very long we would get into the book of Acts and and we're not in it for, for even four chapters in the fourth chapter persecution comes their way Remarkable, isn't it? So soon, barely after the the words of Jesus have left his lips, possibly a, a, a couple of months, there is persecution happening in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just healed a lame man in the temple. The, the, the lame man was asking for for, for money, and they didn't have money to give him, but what they did is they healed him in Jesus' name. And, and then Peter used this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And, and then we, we, we come to uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 4, and, and the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they're all greatly annoyed, they're angry. They're cross. And and why are they angry and cross? Well, they were angry and cross with Peter and John because they were proclaiming Christ and his resurrection. They weren't so much cross about the healing of the lame man. What they were cross about was the fact that they were proclaiming Christ. They were proclaiming his death and his resurrection. And when they were coming under this fire, when they were coming under the anger of the uh, Sanhedrin, of the Sadducees, of of the temple guard, uh, of of the, uh, the Pharisees that were around and about them, the words of Jesus would have been echoing in their ears. If the world hates you, know it has hated me before you. They were being hated for Christ's sake. And they knew what was going on. They understood it. Jesus was teaching them beforehand so that when these situations happened, they knew what was going on. A couple of court cases later, uh, an imprisoning, a a remarkable releasing by by God's power, supernaturally letting them out, uh, and then being caught again, and then being beaten. This is what they said. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. Whose name? Jesus' name. That's Acts 5.41. So so they've they've healed this man. 
that they've preached the word, they've come under fire, that they've been abused, they've had these court cases, they've been put in prison, they've been beaten. And what are they doing? They're rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer dishonour for Jesus' name. How could they do that? How could they come out of being beaten and rejoice? Because of the words and teaching of Christ. It was real to them. The the words and the teaching of Christ was real and alive to them. Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For they persecuted, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The disciples remembered this teaching. These words of Christ were explaining to them what was going on. And then they realised in their difficulties and in their challenges, they hadn't fallen out of the will of God. They hadn't fallen out of the plan and purpose. Everything hadn't gone wrong. No, no, not at all. This is what was going to happen. Jesus had explained it to them. Jesus had said, this is what is going to go on. And, and they were in a position where they could rejoice. They could rejoice in their persecution. They could rejoice in their suffering because they understood it and they understood it in the context of Jesus' words. And not only would Jesus' words explain to them what was going on, but Jesus' words would give them comfort. Think of those words in John 14, verse 27. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What an encouragement and comfort that would have been to those disciples. They knew that the suffering was there. They knew that the persecution was happening. It was real to them. And then they could rejoice in it. But at the same time, they would have been troubled in their minds. And and these things do trouble you. And God said to them through Jesus, Look, I'm leaving you my peace. And, And as those words would be echoing in their ears, it would have given them comfort. And that verse 27 of chapter 14 of John is just one example of many, many, many verses. Many, many, many words of Jesus that would have been a comfort to the disciples. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Ask of me and I will give you the Holy Spirit. Promises and promises after that. And so there's a really strong link between what Jesus taught them and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now remember back to the upper room just after Judas had left into the darkness. Jesus had washed their feet. Jesus had told them the truth of the picture language that was there, that you should be a servant. 
Jesus had then declared that he was going to be betrayed. The finger was pointed at Judas, and whether they all understood it quite or not, Judas left, left to take the money and work out how to betray Jesus. But then in that same time, Jesus looks at the leaven round there and he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think that when those disciples were in prison suffering, they remembered the words of Jesus because the Holy Spirit reminded them. And that's why Jesus' words are so effective. That's why the Bible is such a blessing to us, is because the Holy Spirit takes them and uses them. And we see him taking them and using them in the life of the disciples. Now this is just an aside, but it's something that's so, so important. We've already mentioned it as something so, so important. What was the first fruit of abiding? It was abiding in the word, wasn't it? If we want the Holy Spirit to be able to remind us, we need to put the stuff there in the first place. If you're not abiding in the word, how can the Holy Spirit use the word to help you? So brothers and sisters, if if you're wanting to, 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 to function in this world, And if you're wanting the Holy Spirit to bless you with God's word as comfort, God's word as strength, God's word as what you need in that moment, then you need to be feeding yourself on God's word. That the Holy Spirit cannot use what's not there. The Holy Spirit won't use what's not God's word. It says here that he is going to bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So believers, that's why it's so important that we take our daily reading of God's word seriously. That's why it's so important that we meditate on God's word. So that when situations become dark and bleak, When persecution comes our way, there will be a resource that the Holy Spirit can use to bring to our remembrance. To be able to function as a believer, to be able to overcome persecution, the Holy Spirit is essential. And look here how the Holy Spirit comes to his disciples. The Holy Spirit comes to his disciples because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. In fact, I will send you from the Father. God the Father and God the Son send the Holy Spirit, to be the helper. To be the helper. 
Or, or that word also could have been translated to be the comforter, to be the counsellor, to be the advocate, to be the one who stands in on their behalf. So Jesus, when he was on this earth, he had a unique relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is seen in the start in his conception as it's explained in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. The Holy Spirit is speaking to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit was there. We see his Holy Spirit in his baptism. We see the Holy Spirit in the temptation. We see the Holy Spirit through his life. We see the Holy Spirit in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension. The Holy Spirit is is the very person who made the Lord Jesus Christ's mission on earth possible. And as God the Son, Jesus, is ascending into heaven in that cloud, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit taking him there, rather than the Trinity staying in glory together, Jesus says to the Father, send him back. To my people. Send him back. The intimacy and the closeness that they'd had over that period, and Jesus is saying, It is him that I want you to go back. And so, effectively, the gift of the Holy Spirit is essentially the same in many ways as if Jesus had stayed with them, but better. Because Jesus as a man was physical and limited to that physical body. But the Holy Spirit is not limited to a physical body. And that's why right now, wherever we are dotted around Cyprus or the world, the Holy Spirit is with us. If we had Jesus with us now, only one of these places could have him. And of course, I'd want him here with me. And of course, you would want him there with you. But he couldn't be in all places at all times because he is in the body of a man. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, can be everywhere and with everyone. And for the disciples, Jesus is saying to them, look, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving my Spirit with you. And I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The Father and the Son are with you in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And so then we move on from what he will. So what I will, Jesus will do, to what he will do, what the Holy Spirit will do. Now we we, we realise that the Holy Spirit is going to be a helper. We realise the Holy Spirit is going to be that advocate, that comforter, that that counsellor. But there's a particular function or work of the Holy Spirit here that I want us to to, to hone in on. And and that is this. The the Holy Spirit was not sent to to give the disciples an amazing experience. He was not commissioned to give them supernatural gifts in in this situation. The, The Spirit's work is to bear witness to Jesus. The very thing that the disciples would be persecuted for was the very thing that the the Holy Spirit was coming to do and the very thing that the Holy Spirit would enable them to do. Now think of the illustration that I gave to the children, the torch. The torch without its batteries is useless. It can't shine light. 
We're to be a light. The disciples were to be a light and a witness to this world. And how could they do it? The only way they could do it is if they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the power that put the light on, as it were, that enabled them to to shine into the light of the situation. The Holy Spirit was going to enable the disciples to be the witnesses of Jesus. Mark chapter 13 goes into this in some depth. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Mark 13 and verses 9 to 13. And he warns them that they're going to be persecuted. He warns them that they're going to be put on trial. He warns them that they're going to be in difficult, difficult situations. But he tells them not to worry, not to worry about what to say. And in in verse 11 of that chapter 13 of Mark, he says, For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You get it? They they could be a witness because the Holy Spirit was going to shine through them. The Holy Spirit was going to give them the words that they needed. The Holy Spirit was going to comfort them. The Holy Spirit was going to bring to their memory what Jesus had taught and so that they could bring that out at the right times. So when they were feeling down and oppressed, words of encouragement would come. When they were needing to say things to different people about a situation, the words would come to them and they could bring those words to be. And what was going on in this situation was the Holy Spirit was witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ and enabling the disciples to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil was trying to shut them down by persecuting them and by putting pressures upon them. And as much pressure as the devil and the world could put on them, the Holy Spirit was greater and is greater. And friends, we can endure persecution in exactly the same way. We can endure persecution because of the words of Jesus. We can endure persecution because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can be a witness in this dark world and shine light out into it because of the Holy Spirit. Friends, yes, there is persecution and it is real. But what we have got in us through the Lord Jesus Christ is far greater. We have his spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in us, enabling us, enriching us, lifting us up, comforting us, helping us, making his words come alive to us. How much do we need the Holy Spirit? How much do we need God's word? It's the only way that we're going to survive. But the reality there, not as a pessimist looks at it, and not as the optimist looks at it, but as a realist looks at us. These words have been given to us so that we will not fall. Brothers and sisters, we will not fall. When the dark time comes, when the challenge comes, we can ask ourselves the question, and I I do myself, if that happened to me, we read the Barnabas uh, Trust, we read uh, Open Doors, we read of the persecution that's happening, we we hear of some of these things that are going on around the world, you think, how do they cope with it? What would I do in that situation? Well, I would crumble and melt. But what Jesus has done, 
is he's given me the words that I need from himself. And he's given me the Holy Spirit that will come in and comfort and uphold me. And he's done exactly the same for you. And no matter your situation, and no matter the trial or the difficulty or the persecution that's to come your way, you can stand firm in the fact and the knowledge that you have the words of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he will make testimony of Jesus. And you will. This is talking to the disciples. Fourth point, you will. Verse 16, verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Despite the challenge of the persecution that was coming, Jesus told the disciples that they also would bear witness and they did. Acts chapter 4, I was telling you about that situation there, wasn't I? And in verse 8 it says, and then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. How could he preach that gospel sermon? How could he stand up to those mighty men that were with in front of him? The educated, the clever. He could because the Spirit filled him. He gave witness to Christ. And this is how it was received. If, if you look there in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, these are the, the, the religious leaders uh, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they'd been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit filled them. That boldness, that overcoming of being uneducated and being able to speak in that way and conduct themselves academically in front of those men in that remarkable way. What these men recognised was that they had been with Jesus. And despite the, the, the challenging and the persecution the Holy Spirit was leading and enabling these disciples to bear witness and bear witness against the odds. And in Acts chapter 17, it's summed up like this, talking about what the Christians had done. It said, these men who've turned the world upside down. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of God's people. The Holy Spirit enables you and I to be like Peter and John, to be witnesses to him. I read this the other day online and it made me mad. It's on, on Facebook, it's an advert. Said, if you believe in God, then believe he doesn't want you to be sick. If you are sick, it's not his will. God doesn't want it. The Healing Streams Live Healing Service is a special online program designed by the Holy Spirit to bring divine healing to everyone who requires healing for their body. It's blasphemy. And, and it's indicative of so much 
that's gone wrong in the so-called church right now. They've got the Holy Spirit wrong. They think the Holy Spirit is someone to give them a personal experience. They think the Holy Spirit is to give them powers to do things. They think the Spirit's job is to give them gifts and to give them healing and to give them ministries. And so many people say they have a Spirit-filled ministry which is all about themselves all about what they can do in the Spirit. Friends, the only one the Spirit shouts about is Christ. And the only person the disciples shouted about was Christ. And a Spirit-filled person is all about Christ. And a Spirit-filled ministry is all about Christ. And sadly we see people chasing around after some sort of supernatural experience and some personal experience and some gift and some something. And what they need, and what we need, is the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Christ. The Holy Spirit's work throughout God's word was quiet and in the background, but made a massive impact. He was never about a song and a dance and a noise. He just works with power and points to Christ. And that's how we can survive and overcome persecution, is by letting the Holy Spirit Enable us to point to Christ and to live for Christ. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, As we live in this dark, sin-rid world, we realise that persecution, at one level or another, is real. But we thank you for what Jesus did for us. We thank you for his words that have been given to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And we thank you that with your words and your Spirit, we're enabled to endure persecution. And you will keep us through these things from falling away. Oh Lord God, forgive us for when we abuse the Holy Spirit and use him and think of him as our own servant or our own plaything or someone that's going to do something for us. Oh Lord God, forgive us for when we got that wrong. Help us to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be a witness to him, for him, and from him. And may we be that witness through the power of the Holy Spirit, who himself is a witness to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.